Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. They do great work, and you can find out more by visiting johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples magazine. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We've got terrific guests for today's show, including Mark Schulman, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. We'll be talking about current world events. We'll visit with Larry Reed. He is the President Emeritus of the uh, Foundation for Economic Education. And we'll visit with Kristen Corey. She is the Producing Artistic Director of Gulf Shore Playhouse, also CEO and President as well. It is July the 26th, and on this day in 1775, the U.S. Postal System was established by the Second Continental Congress with Benjamin Franklin as its first postmaster general. Uh, he will put in place the foundation for many aspect of, aspects of today's bail system. During early, early colonial days in the 1600s, few American colonists needed to send mail to each other. It was more than likely that their correspondence was a letter with letter writers in Britain. Mail deliveries from across the Atlantic were sporadic and could take many months to arrive. There were no post offices in the colony, so mail was typically left in inns and taverns. In 750, 1753, Benjamin Franklin, who had been postmaster of the Philadelphia, uh, became one of the two joint postmasters generals for the, for the colonies. He made numerous improvements to the mail system, including setting up a new, more efficient colonial routes and cutting delivery uh, time in half between Philadelphia and New York by having the weekly mail wagon travel both day and night uh, via relay teams. Franklin also debuted the first-rate chart, which standardized delivery costs based on distance and weight. In 1774, the British fired Franklin from his postmaster job because of his revolutionary activities. However, the following year, he was appointed postmaster general of the United Colonies by the uh, Continental Congress. Franklin held the job until late 1776 when he was sent to France as a diplomat. He left a vastly improved mail system with routes from Florida to Maine and regular service between the colonies and Britain, President George Washington appointed Samuel Osgood, a former Massachusetts congressman, as the first postmaster general in the American nation under its new U.S. Constitution in 1789. At the time, there were approximately 75 post offices in the country. Today, the United States has over 40,000 post offices, and the Postal Service delivers 212 billion pieces of mail most of them junk, in my opinion, but uh, over the year to uh, over 144 million homes and businesses in the United States, Puerto Rico, Guam, and the American Virgin Islands and American Samoa. The post office is the nation's largest civil and civilian employer with roughly 500,000 career workers. The Postal Service is a not-for-profit, well, you can say that again, self-supporting agency that covers its expenses through postage and uh, related products. The Postal Service gets the mail delivered rain or shine using everything from planes to mules. So how's the post office doing today? Well, I sometimes wonder if the uh, post office wasn't a remnant uh, carryover from uh, the Continental Congress, and I can hear some advocates say, well, we got to include the post office in the Constitution. Well, it's there, and the U.S. Post Office Service is moving forward with its decision to raise costs on August 29th, in an effort to boost revenue, according to the letter from USPS Vice President 
Government Relations and Public Policy, Peter Pastor. First-class mail stamp prices will increase from 55 to 58 cents, and general mail products will see an average increase of 6.8%. A cost for magazines, newspapers, and catalogs will raise by 8.8% according to July 19th filing for the Postal Regulatory Commission. He said the post office recorded a $9.2 billion net loss in 2020 alone. Let me repeat that, $9.2 billion loss. A UPS, uh, USPS delivery sorting in the back of his truck on LaSalle Street. <clears throat> oh, that was a caption. So mail uh, volume has decreased every year since 2014, but declined by a record 4.8% in 2020 and 4.6% in 2021. First Coast Mail is the agency most profitable product, although COVID-19 has a severe impact on first class mail sales, according to uh, uh, sources. Baxter said that the response that price increases will allow UPS mail volume to decrease by just 2.3% annually, while it collects $1.6 billion in additional revenue, far short of the amount that it needs in order to get back to a balance sheet that's, uh, that works. In any event, as you can see, post office is going to be charging more, but still going to be running a deficit. Makes me wonder when well, you have other companies that are making great profits, why we shouldn't just privatize the post office. That'd take a constitutional amendment, of course. Former President Donald Trump headlined the rally to protect our elections in Phoenix, Arizona on Saturday. And in the state, the Senate continues its month-long review of the 2020 Maricopa County ballots. Trump took the stage. It was pretty exciting. He was—he he is so dynamic, and what an attraction! People were standing in line during lightning hours before uh, he went on. This was at the Turning Point Action event, uh, with extra flair to thunderous applause and chants of USA. Conservative ask, ask, activist Charlie Kirk's introduction of Trump was accompanied by a patriotic-themed chiron. Trump called the 2020 race the most corrupt, dishonest, and unfair election in the history of our country saying that he, the Democrats, the establishment media, big tech, and we, the people, know it. Trump uh, nodded away, <clears throat> right away to the ongoing Maricopa County ballot review, which he laid out his grievances with the results of the 2020 election. What was the difference between 2016 and 2020? Trump questioned Arizona mid-speech. The difference was, I did much better in 2020. Trump eviscerated Governor Doug Ducey, in Arizona leader's home state, blasting that he wasn't very popular, and now he's not very popular with me, he said. We're gathered here in Phoenix to show our support for election integrity and for the brave and unyielding conservative warriors in the Arizona State Senate. Thank you, Trump said. They've created a movement all over the country, and indeed they have. Others who arrived in Arizona Federal Theater included most of the Republican contenders competing in the 2022 Arizona uh, gubernatorial and Senate primary races. Ahead of scheduled rally, Trump also took aim at Arizona Senator who had been critical of the Trump-inspired election audit. It was quite an event, and uh, <clears throat> he praised those that should be praised. And uh, he also took, a, took a, a whack at the Hunter Biden, who never painted before, yet is slated to sell amateur artwork at a solo art exhibition in the fall between seventy-five dollars and $500,000 to buyers whose identities will not be disclosed. Can you imagine if my kids did that, Trump asked? 100% a bribe. It is payola for sure. Trump also slammed biological males competing as women and athletes. So he, was, he covered the waterfront. It was a long speech. He did a great job. It was just pretty darn exciting to see him up there. 
uh, and uh, making a great speech in where the uh, Maricopa County. As President Joe Biden completes 100 days in office, the county was optimistic, the country was optimistic about the coming year. But now, just after hitting the six month mark, Americans' optimism about the direction of the country has plummeted nearly 20 points. That, according to an ABC News Ipsos poll, a majority, 55% of the public, say they are pessimistic about the direction of the country, a marked change from the roughly one-third that say, said the same thing in May 2nd. In the early May survey, Americans were more optimistic than pep- pessimistic, but by a 28% margin, optimism is now underwater by 10 points. Looking ahead to the next 12 months, fewer than half, 45%, now report feeling optimistic about the way things are going. I said give it a drop from about two-thirds. Who could be optimistic? Well, I guess perhaps the uh, communists and those progressives. The decline in optimism has occurred across the board among Democrats, Republicans, and Independents. Optimism is down about 20 points among Democrats and Republicans, and it's down about 26 points among Independents. So, uh, pretty stark change, and I think people are beginning to feel the heat that perhaps uh, this will all filter down to, gravitate down to uh, Biden and his policies. Not going to get a lot done if he's very unpopular. Also, a new poll indicates that 1.8 million Americans have turned down jobs in order to stay on unemployment insurance. <clears throat> Morning Consult surveyed 463 out-of-work American adults at the end of June. Roughly one in eight said that they had refused jobs uh, while unemployed because they receive enough money from unemployment insurance without having to work. Others said the child care obligations, worries over COVID-19, and the lack of job flexibility limited their willingness to take new positions. Because 14.1 million adults were collecting benefits at the time of the survey, Morning Consult calculated that roughly 1.8 million Americans turned down jobs due to the handouts. Shameful. Under President Biden's $1.9 trillion American Rescue Plan, the federal government funded, of course, $300 per week enhanced unemployment insurance, a policy that has caused sluggish labor market recovery. 26 states all did away with them, of course, and those are the Republican states. Uh, So uh, as personal finance company WalletHub recently found, Nine of the 10 states that were the most robust labor market recoveries, Vermont, Utah, Nebraska, South Dakota, Idaho, New Hampshire, Alabama, Kansas, Montana, and Oklahoma have have Republican governors. Meanwhile, you can guess Illinois, New Jersey, Louisiana, District of Columbia, California, Connecticut, Nevada, New York, New Mexico, and Hawaii, all run by Democrats. They have the lowest in terms of recovery. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Mark Schulman, founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. 
Lullaby's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabee's.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m., seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Choice Social, a new refreshing social networking platform. You can download the app by visiting choicesocial.us. Coming up, we're going to visit with Larry Reed, President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. Right now we have with us Mark Schulman. Mark is the founder and publisher of a terrific website, multimedia website, HistoryCentral.com, good for kids of all ages, including you and I. He's also the author of several books, mainly about past presidents. Mark, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure, Bob. So, Mark, uh, we've uh, for these last many years, by the way, uh, this week uh, represents the uh, first decade of the Bob Harden Show, a complete 10 years on August 1st, and you've been part of it the entire time, so I'm grateful for that. Right, and we, we, we were, before you became the Bob Harden Show, we've been doing this. So. <laughs> That's exactly. So uh, let's, uh, as we typically do, talk about current global events, and let's start off with what's transpired and developed with COVID. So a couple of things have been happening. First of all, those countries that um, did very well in the first first couple of rounds are now being hit hard in, in Asia. Um, none of them have a lot of vaccinations. And since they're unvaccinated, the Delta has been ripping through them, particularly Indonesia now has become a new center um, for COVID. And um, what's been reported today, actually, is a lot of deaths among kids, and that's something new. Mm which we haven't seen anywhere else in the world. So that's something to be worried about, that there may be some other strain at work in, in Indonesia right now. Um, India, it seems to have burned through in the sense the numbers are way down um, after burning, you know, for, for a couple of, for two months being very, very high numbers, and now those numbers are down considerably. Um, Australia is now experiencing it for the first time in a few other countries, and that's problematic. Europe is 
also now is now getting the Delta variant, and numbers are going up in most countries. In England, after going up sharply, in the last two or three days, they've started to go down a little bit. No one is quite sure why. And here in Israel, uh, numbers continue to go up, even starting from almost zero. There's a, a growing sense at this point that after six months, the um, the vaccine seems to lose some of its potency from from um, infection. It still seems to be extremely effective against um, severe disease or hospitalization. It seems to still be about 90% effective in for that. But in terms of being infected, it seems to have dropped to somewhere between 50, 40 and 50%. And there's a lot of talk about going ahead with getting a booster shot um, in, the, in the near term. Um, so that's where it stands. And, of course, the U.S. numbers keep on rising, especially in all the states that have low vaccination rates. So it's kind of interesting to me that uh, what you cited, that uh, uh, this new wave for the Delta uh, variant coming through apparently burns out, uh, as you've mentioned, with uh, India and uh, England. So maybe there's light at the end of the tunnel. Well, yes. I mean, we don't know. I mean, that's the question. Um, don't forget, England has a very high vaccination rate. And so um, that's also part of it, obviously, at this point. Um, it doesn't, and India, uh, I mean, again, the numbers that, that died in India, the current estimations are 5 million people. So, I mean, yeah, this, like, if you can call that light, that's light, but that's not very well, bright light. Of course, that's, that a, that's a population of, what, 1.3 billion people or something like that? Right, so that, that, that would be the equivalent of the United States losing another million people. Yeah, wow. So that's not exactly uh, a, a bright light, shall we say? No, to look but, forward to. But it is um, the bright light. There is is only that it's receding, and that's good. Well, at some point, yes. But again, the, the, the you know, the question, of course, is if everybody in the world got COVID, at some point, no one else would get the COVID unless a new vac, a new variant came around that also attacked people who've had it. I mean, I think a U.S. congressman just announced. Um, I forgot where he's from. I think a Republican from Alabama, if I'm not mistaken, that he's just gotten in a second time. Um, yeah, there are reoccurrences, so, aren't there? And and people yeah, that have forget- and there are cases. It seems that the Delta variant has has attacked people who got the previous version. So I don't know. I mean, you know, again, big questions. Someday are going to have to be answered. Of you know, what happened? How did it happen? You know, was it? The, you know, what role did the Chinese play in all of this? Accidentally or not, um, this is not a small matter. It certainly is not. And it's not the first occurrence, by the way. I mean, several of the uh, uh, past uh, viruses have come from Asia as well. As I recall, SARS back in, was it? Right. Well, you know, again, part of the problem, you know, a lot of these viruses <clears throat> came because of the um, open animal markets and jump between animals and humans and uh, customs in that, in that part of the world. Mm -hmm. uh, but, yeah, most of, m most of our... Recent viruses have come from Asia and a lot from China. So, yeah. so yeah. Uh, we're we are, we're observing, watching, and uh, making our own personal decisions about how we're going to handle this. So let's let's move to Afghanistan and uh, uh, what's happening. So there. The, you know, there's two things that work right now in Afghanistan. Or three things. One is, of course, the U.S. has <clears throat> pretty much withdrawn its military forces, and the Taliban seem to be, you know, moving forward and conquering areas that. The Afghan army has decided to redeploy uh, primarily in defense of the major cities and hoping that they'll be able to defend those major cities. Mm -hmm. um, the United States is doing the right thing right now in terms of 
um, starting flights to take out all of the interpreters and others that work with the Americans who are at the most risk in case the Taliban should win of being killed by the Taliban. Well, the Taliban seem to be killing anyone who's educated in any city that they conquer. Hmm. So think about that. Yeah. And um, the only, I would say, good thing is um, the U.S. basically is pushing back from its original commitment not to not to use the air force or or air assets to support the um, Afghani army, and it looks like we may continue doing that, which I think is a good thing. I mean, I think one of the greatest disasters in history. No, I think maybe that's a little bit too strong. But when we pulled out of Vietnam, it was one thing we pulled out of our troops, but when we when we refused because the Congress made it illegal to provide air support for the South Vietnamese, once we pulled out, that doomed the South Vietnamese. Yeah. If you look back at history, the North Vietnamese won with the conventional, uh, a conventional strike. In other words, it wasn't a guerrilla warfare. It was tanks crossing the, the demilitarized zone. And if the U.S. would have, you know, allow, if the U.S. had been able to provide air support, they would have been able to destroy the tanks. And who knows what the outcome might have been very, very different. Yeah. So that's a lesson from history we need to learn that that pulling out should not mean pulling out completely. It's one thing to have your troops on the ground. It's another thing to provide air and other support so, uh, for your allies who fought besides you for so many years. So how would you rate the uh, withdrawal from Afghanistan? How would I rate it? It's hard, you know, it, it's very hard to rate it because, uh, you know, we've discussed this before, very mixed feelings about this. Can we stay forever? I don't know. I mean, American people should decide. I mean, I, I think that if we could stay with a couple thousand troops and not lose any troops, I think it would be, it wouldn't, would have been the right move. Yeah. But, you know, both Presidents Truman, Trump and President Biden have followed the policy that seems to be the will of the American people that, you know, too long is long enough at this point, and how yeah. many years can we stay? Um, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm much more of an interventionist in the sense that America can do good in the world, and if the cost is not too high, we should. Mm -hmm. um, but I may be in the minority in that view. Yeah, perhaps that that uh, pendulum swings back and forth, of course, uh, over time. As uh, right, but what I, well, the key point I want to make, and I think it's really important, is as we withdraw, if we withdraw, we shouldn't totally withdraw. Yeah, and if um, if we can, there is no reason why we shouldn't provide air support uh, to the Afghan allies. It's you know, it costs a little bit of money, but it doesn't cost our lives. I don't think we've lost an Air Force pilot in the whole conflict. Well, in, in fact, to your point, my, uh, my understanding is I don't think we've lost anybody in the last year in Afghanistan. So we've been pretty much of a standing police force as opposed to uh, an army trying to, to win a war. Right. Very much so. So, so you know. Perhaps and, that was a status. At what cost? Um, and that's, that's a question. Uh, yeah. And look, um, the Taliban are real evil. Yeah. There's no two ways about it. Anybody who's you know, educated is getting persecuted. Unbelievable. That's it's yep. so awful. Look, we have to, one of the things that that's a problem in the world, and I make this in a very general, generality, is the fact that too many people don't recognize the fact that there really is pure evil. Yeah. And it doesn't make a difference whether it's part of the Iranian regime or the Taliban or, you know, it could be part of the Russians for that matter, but, you know, we can talk about who, what, or where, but you know, you can't make excuses. You can't talk about cultural differences. 
there are things that are just evil. Yeah. And we need to recognize them as such. Absolutely. I rec- it reminds me of the uh, t- young couple that went, uh, you know, Kumbaya decided to go in, over into Afghanistan and ended up just getting murdered, slaughtered by these by these uh, evil people. So that was a couple of years ago. So, uh, look, we moved from uh, COVID, but uh, any comment at all about the Olympics and what's going on right now? Well, look, I mean, they managed to, to hold the Olympics with limited interference with COVID. The Japanese people are not happy about having it there. The, the athletes are being tested. We've had a few cases here and there, but it looks like they're going to successfully uh, bring off the Olympics. It's, it's a strange Olympics, of course, because it's, on one hand, both in terms of time zones, vis-a-vis the United States, is taking place, you know, much of it while people are sleeping. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Um, it's 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 very different. You know, there's no, there are no people in the stands cheering. Um, all those things that we've known the Olympics to be aren't really taking place in this case. It's a television show at this point. Well, and it's but not really being... all these athletes have spent all these years preparing, and, and they at least have a chance to show what they have. Exactly, and the, the viewership on television is way down uh, since I uh, back to 1983 or 82, I think it is. Right, but um, I think part of that is the time zone. Yeah, could be. Could you know, be. The, the uh, Olympics do best on American TV when they take place on American hours, let's put it that way. Absolutely. That makes sense. So let's move to Iraq. So Iraq, we have the president of Iraq visiting with President Biden today. They're going to announce a whole set of civil agreements and aid to, the, aid to Iraq. The United States is sort of announcing the end of its troop involvement in Iraq, but it's not doing it immediately. And so it's keeping some troops still in Iraq. Um, again, the cost is minimal in the sense that I don't think we've lost a soldier in Iraq now and also in a year or two. Um, it, but it provides an extra extra aspect of stability for the government. Um, and it's a counterweight to Iran, which, of course, has a lot of impact in Iraq. Um, you know, we invaded Iraq. We destroyed the country. Uh, you break it, now you fix it. We didn't quite fix it, but it may be coming together to some extent. Mm-hmm. I'm semi-optimistic that Iraq as a working state may, may, be, uh, may be able to put together. Again, it's dealing with a severe economic crisis, drought. Um, things are not as bad. We, I didn't put on the list Lebanon, which is falling totally apart at this point. Oh, is it really? Economically. Mm. Um, so Iraq is in better shape than, than Lebanon. Um, but many countries in the Middle East are in in big trouble because there's been this ongoing drought besides everything else. Yeah, so, so. interesting. Uh, is Iran uh, getting involved in, in Iraq at all? It's been quite involved. It always has been. Yeah. Um, don't forget the Shiite population in Iraq is um, supported by the Iranians, and the Iranians have um, some of the revolutionary guards in Iraq. And so that what's, that, that's what makes this such a... A mess, let's put it that way. Yeah. Um, but, you know, on the other hand, um, the Iraqis don't like the Iranians. They fought a war with them. So it's a strange combination. Um, and it requires a great deal of successful diplomacy and the use both of aid and um, limited power in order to balance all of these things together. And um, so far, I think we've done okay. Both, um, both the Trump and Biden administrations have done a reasonable job of trying to balance those those various things, but it's not easy. Okay, good assessment. So how about what's happening in Taiwan? Well, Taiwan, I brought that up because 
there's nothing specifically happening except there's a greater and greater fear that the Chinese might actually try to seize the seize Taiwan militarily. And we should be having a discussion about uh, you know what the United States is willing or willing or not willing to do. Once upon a time we had a clear commitment to defend what we called Formosa mm-hmm. against the Chinese aggression. Are we ready to go to war with the Chinese in order to defend Taiwan? And without putting a value judgment on, I think this is a discussion that needs to be had. I mean, look, part of the issue is, of course, if we say we're not willing to go to war, then we're going to increase the chances that China will attack, obviously. Right. If we say we're willing to go to war and we commit ourselves to go to war, the Chinese are less likely to attack. On the other hand, is it fair for the American people to find ourselves in a war with China without having any discussion about it? Fair enough, and of course, uh, it reminds me of the uh, red line in Syria as well. So that if you make a commitment and you don't I go fa- back even further in history, go to Korea. Yeah, a lot of historians believe the reason that North Korea attacked South Korea was because a speech that Dean Acheson described America's line in Asia, which included the Philippines, which included Hong Kong, which included Japan, and did not include South Korea. And so the Koreans and the Soviets at the time came up with the the idea that well. The United States was not going to defend South Korea, and therefore they attacked. Hmm. So, you know, what we say is is important. Of course, when we say it, we have to believe it and, and mean it. So, it's a difficult situation and difficult to ha- how to deal with this. And I'm bringing it up because I think it's something that needs to be thought about carefully. Yeah. So we are a little bit in turmoil in terms of uh, uh, U.S. policy towards the the rest of the world. Let's let's move to Tunisia and what's happening there. So again, the economic situation in Tunisia has been very bad. Like I said, most of the Arab world, um, a pro- prolonged, prolonged excuse me, drought has created economic difficulties, and of course, COVID, like it's like created most of the world economic difficulties. Tourism, which was a major importance in Tunisia and so many of these countries, without it, um, people are in deep trouble, and so you had anger in the streets. And after the demonstrations, the president basically. Uh, suspended parliament and there was sort of a coup d'etat against his own government. Uh, where that's going to go is unclear. Tunisia was one of the success stories, or the only success story of the Arab Spring. Yeah. Uh, where we had a functioning democracy that came out of the Arab Spring. Um, let's hope it can, it can continue, but um, there are a lot of forces that are that are against it. Indeed, so, uh, which reminds me of, uh, there hasn't been a lot of news about it in the last week, but uh, there's some uh, real dust-up in South Africa. Uh, any idea whether, in real demonstrations, a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, rioting, any, any comments? No, again, again, look, look, we have this problem in so much of the world today, which is this com- combination of COVID's impact, Climate change impact, which when I say climate change, I'm talking about droughts and mm-hmm. floods, which, you know, look at the floods that were in China this past week. Um, and uh, these changes creating unrest in lots of parts of the world. And we need to understand that's part of part of our future. Yeah. Additional unrest and additional refugees. And, you know, the ref, ref, at the moment there have been a lot of refugees because of COVID, but, you know, these situations create additional refugees. They create additional pressure on our borders. Um, when, this, when the situation gets tough all around the world, um, the rich countries in the world become uh, 
a haven that everyone wants to get to. That's absolutely true. So uh, you mentioned China. So we've had, what, three dams break, I think, in China. All kinds of uh, uh, turmoil going on. And, and uh, reports the economy is uh, weak, and, and in fact, the government's in, in uh, trouble. Any thoughts? I would go, all that's true except the last one. The government being in trouble, I'm not sure. You know, they have a pretty firm grip on power at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, but, of course, the, the grip of power is based on the fact that the deal was, we'll make sure that you um, succeed economically and we take you out of poverty, but you don't get involved in politics. And that's been the deal for quite a while. What's happened, of course, is in the last year, besides the environmental issues that we just mentioned, there's been this crackdown on some of the huge tech companies that have been so successful. And so uh, the Chinese turned around and found they had these huge companies that were very, very successful. And then they said, wait a second, um, we don't want that, this much power in private hands. So, um, And the question is, can the economics miracle, quote-unquote, continue without these big companies competing on the world stage? Um, big questions. Yeah. China has a lot, a lot of difficulties, and you know the environmental issues are, are very large in China. We don't realize that the air quality in Peking is probably the worst in any capital in the world. Yeah, there are only a few days a, a year that the air is clear. Uh, a lot of these cities were built on that. Uh, you know, these huge cities. You know, we we think about. Uh, we don't really. We can't imagine that some of the smallest cities in China have 8 to 10 million people. Wow, amazing. All right, well, we don't uh, appreciate the quality of our air, but, you know, they have these particulates in the air there in China, and they're building more and more coal pants, one upon the other, after the other, and uh, they're not making the situation any better for themselves. No, but they, they, they have stopped, I think, at this point, building more coal plants. They're also expanding tremendously in, in solar. But the time it takes, you know, the, the problem is when you commit to making changes like that, yeah. Uh, you're talking about a 10 or 20 year horizon. Mm. And so, uh, you know, China has this growing need for electricity as the population has gotten richer and greater needs for electricity. And so you can't take out, take these coal plants offline or the ones that were being middle of being built offline. And now you have a, have a problem. It'll take years. You know, some of this was awful, to be honest with you. Something I'm sure no one remembers or even knows is that in, when we in the 19 uh, late 70s and the early 80s during the Carter administration, actually, the U.S. Um, convinced China to go the route of coal instead of nuclear yeah. because we were afraid of the Chinese getting to having too many nuclear plants and all the other technologies that go with it. So we pushed them to have coal plants. Well, you know, uh, coal can be clean. The, the technology exists to get the particulates out of the air to, to, to make... Eh, there's no such thing as clean coal. There's cleaner coal. Yeah. Um, and it's very expensive. And so the, the issue becomes that once you start doing that, it really doesn't become economical. Yeah. So, um, you know, again, look, the, the solutions are a combination of renewable gas, which is less polluting, atomic energy, which is not polluting at all, um, you need to find you need to find the various combinations, um, and like I said, China has this really big problem. You know, people were wearing uh, masks in in Peking 
long before COVID and not because of disease, because to keep the particulates out of their eyes and out of their mouths. Absolutely. Mark Schulman, again, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. Always wish we had more time, Mark, but I, I really appreciate you coming on the show. Thanks so much for joining us. Have a great week, Bob. You as well. Thank you. And again, the, the website is HistoryCentral.com. I hope you check it out. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Larry Reed. He is the President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. That more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Lyndon and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate courtyard garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean dining room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Offshore Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards and providing unique educational opportunities to folks in a spirit of service, adventure, and excitement. Over the past 15 years, the Playhouse has expanded immensely, outgoing its current facilities. With dreams of expanding even further in order to better serve the community, broaden the economic impact, and strengthen the cultural fabric of our region, it's time to build and move into a new home. A 44,000 square foot state-of-the-art theater and education center will be built on three acres at the corner of First Avenue South and Goodlett Frank Road, allowing Gulf Shore Playhouse to achieve those dreams. To find out more about Gulf Shore Playhouse, this state-of-the-art performing arts center, and about the season's exciting productions, visit golfshoreplayhouse.org. That's golfshoreplayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse. You just heard the commercial. They're bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. And I hope you'll visit the website, golfshoreplayhouse.org. Our next guest is the founder, CEO, and producing artistic director of Gulf Shore Playhouse, Kristen Corey. She'll be joining us next. Right now we have with us Larry Reed. He is the president emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. Larry, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Bob. My pleasure, Larry. Tell us about the Foundation for Economic Education. Okay. Uh, the Foundation for Economic Education, which you can learn more about at its website, fee.org, uh, attempts to educate and inspire young people in ideas of individual liberty, free markets, private enterprise and private property, and personal character. And we do that not only via the website, but through in-person events, 
uh, and online videos uh, impacting young people all over the world. Terrific organization. I've been to uh, a couple of the events, uh, nationwide events, and to, to see young people celebrating freedom and liberty is just amazing. And if you have a young person in your, in your life, high school or college age, please introduce them to FEE.org, FEE.org, Foundation for Economic Education. So, Larry, you wrote such an interesting piece, Why Australia's Gold Rush Ushered in Political Freedom as Well as Wealth. Maybe you could tell us about it. Okay. Uh, probably uh, Americans know very little about Australian history. Uh, in fact, I didn't know very much about it until visiting the country a few years ago and then again last year. Uh, most people think of Australia as uh, having been founded as a penal colony. Yes. And it was. Uh, Britain in the um, 18th and 19th centuries uh, sent its prisoners uh, to Australia where they figured they'd be out of the way. Um, but, of course, uh, they and the uh, uh, people, native peoples of Australia and other immigrants ended up forging a um, very uh, remarkable country. And gold figures very prominently in the history of Australia. Uh, Australia is, to this day, the second largest gold exporter in the world. Mm. And I found in my recent study of Australian history that the connection between gold and liberty in Australia is pretty strong, and largely because of something called the Eureka Revolt, which happened in 1854. It involved miners, uh, gold miners, who had been mistreated by the British colonial authorities and staged uh, a revolt, which led to remarkable political reforms and freedoms that Australians enjoy to this day. Yeah, it wasn't necessarily like the American Revolution, but it was a reaction to the same thing. It was kind of much uh, 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 taxation without representation. That's right. These uh, gold miners, uh, who in many cases were staking claims to unoccupied vacant land, uh, the British colonial authorities saw them as uh, to be exploited, uh, and they did not give them the right to vote, but they uh, taxed them uh, primarily by way of what they called a gold license, which uh, really was an onerous tax. And uh, you'd often have cases where the miners would be down in their mine, and uh, uh, an official would, from the top of the shaft, holler down, uh, where's your gold license? And this would happen sometimes several times a day. Different kinds of uh, different authorities would show up demanding uh, to see the miners' gold license and then dealing with them in very harsh ways if they didn't have them. Well, often the gold miners didn't have their license with them because to go down a gold shaft often meant uh, enduring uh, lots of moisture, if not outright uh, 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 you know, deep water, right. and uh, so they weren't going to take a piece of paper with them. But um, anyway, this caused such uh, uh, an uprising that um, uh, the Eureka Revolt occurred finally in, in 1854, and the result was that uh, uh, there was a um, confrontation, uh, 30 people were killed, and then uh, the people of that area of Australia rallied to the cause of the miners, who ultimately forced the government to uh, give them the right to vote, uh, to moderate the uh, license or the tax, and to put Australia on the path to 
um, democratic values and a Republican form of government. Certainly did, and uh, again, people standing up for their rights and freedom and liberty and uh, get getting good results. It's just kind of amazing. And uh, now, uh, Australia, I would say people are pretty pro- prosperous in Australia. Uh, yes, they are. They are among the freer countries of the world, uh, but they also uh, constantly are fighting the same battle that we in America are fighting, which is the tendency for government to grow, for people to demand more of it than they should, and for government to assume powers that uh, were not intended for it. So they're in the same battle that we are. I'm happy to say that uh, very good people like my friend Ron Manners, uh, a gold miner himself, and a philanthropist and friend of many pro-freedom causes, is very active in Australia through his organization, the Mancal Economic uh, Found- Freedom Foundation, um, uh, trying to uh, re-educate um, Australians about uh, the nature of their history. By the way, the name of his organization is the Mancal Economic Education Foundation. Sorry, I had that slightly incorrect. Uh, sounds like a knockoff from the Foundation for Economic Education. Yes, <laughs> it is. Uh, we've long had a, a very close relationship between our organizations. Uh, outstanding, Larry. This is such an interesting piece. And again, uh, how things happen around the world and how uh, people end up where they are in Australia, it's a very interesting story. Why Australia's gold rush ushered in political freedom as well as wealth. You can find it on the website, fee.org, fee.org. Larry, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Bob. My pleasure indeed. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Kristen Corey, Producing Artistic Director, President and CEO of Gulf Shore Playhouse. Uh, I actually served as a board chairman uh, for Gulf Shore Playhouse for 15 years when we got the organization up and running, and I'm very proud of that, and it's great to see all the good things that are happening uh, for and to and with Gulf Shore Playhouse. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me and he'll help you too.
You listen to The Bob Harden Show, so why not market your company to our loyal listeners? Ads are played live on each show and then archived so listeners can hear the show and your ad at their convenience. Each advertising package includes a banner on BobHarden.com with a link to your website at no extra charge. Join Lulabee's Diner, Johnson's Air Conditioning, Blue Provence, and many others who advertise on the show. Call me at 598-3889, that's 598-3889, or send an email to BobHarden at Hotmail.com to design an ad program that's just right for your business and your budget. You'll be pleasantly surprised at the cost and the value. Several advertisers have been with me for years. Find out why by calling 598-389 or send me an email to bobhartmanhotmail.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. We have with us Kristen Corey. As I mentioned before the break, she is the president and CEO as well as producing artistic director of Gulf Shore Playhouse. Kristen, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning, Bob. I'm so happy to be here. Well, thank you, Kristen. And uh, tell us a little bit about Gulf Shore Playhouse. Well, Gulf Shore Playhouse is a charitable organization for the greater good, a mission-driven business that focuses on uh, theater, professional theater, and education in here in our region. So we're, at this point, uh, just over 17 years old. We've been producing since 2006 in the Norris Center, which is a little pink building down at the base of Cambier Park in downtown Naples, right across from the City Hall. It's a little 200-seat venue, and we bring in all of our actors. We, we put them up. We give them cars. We allow them to live with us for a few months while they're performing and rehearsing the fantastic show that you're going to see. And we also have an extraordinarily robust education program. Um, we're actually partnering right now with the Collier County Public Schools to help them bring theater programs and clubs into all of their middle schools and all of their high schools, as well as um, doing in-school workshops where we have arts integrative um, programming. So we teach content curriculum through the use of theater as a, as a tool and we also um, com- uh, partner with several community organizations as well. For example, we, we do a fully orchestrated Shakespeare every year with Artist Naples, the Naples Philharmonic. That actually is given for free to the kids of Collier County. Um, the entire 11th grade comes to see that play every year. This year we're doing Midsummer on October 3rd and October 4th. And uh, we also have written, now we're on our second play that we are writing that we have just finished about a local Holocaust survivor that we wrote in partnership with the Holocaust Museum. And then we will perform and tour that through the schools and cultural centers as the year progresses. Wow, just amazing how much you've accomplished in just 17 years is amazing, Kristen. Now, you also have a a program coming up uh, for uh, teens uh, performance, if if I'm not mistaken. Yes, we do. Um, but to, to, the, to the point about how much we've accomplished in 17 years, so much of that would not have been possible, Bob Harden, if it wasn't for you. Oh, thank you for saying that, Kristen. But it's your leadership, actually, that uh, is just <laughs> your focus and, and uh, strength of character and leadership is just amazing. So I give well, all the credit so to you. I'm so to say that, but 
thank you for being a long, long, long time board chair who got who guided us in the right direction and and was and provided lots of elbow grease and sweat equity all along the way. If it weren't for you, we'd be selling cookies on the street. <laughs> well, thank you for that, Kristen. So tell us well, about thank you. Tell us about the children's mm-hmm. program coming up. Yes. So every summer, well, actually, it's not just the summer anymore. Um, throughout the year, we have children's programs that are geared toward. Uh, the learning of acting, singing, dancing. It's an after-school program or it's a summer camp, uh, whichever, depending on what time of part of the year it is. It's all under the umbrella of what we call our Star Academy. We just had our 8- to 12-year-olds on stage with Junie B. Jones, which was um, absolutely delightful. And we're now currently in rehearsal for our teen program, and that is a production of Grease. So that will open on August 5th with its official opening night on August 6th and play throughout the weekend. So if you are interested in coming to see a fantastic production of Grease, you would just be shocked how talented these teenagers are. And a lot of them have been training with us for years. So as they start to grow into their, and I'll call it their maturity, even though now they're like 17 and 18, uh, the shows just keep getting better and better. And uh, we just we just did a production of Little Shop of Horrors in May, and then we're going to be having auditions for our production of Annie, which will incorporate both the older kids and the younger kids. That production will be in December, but the auditions will be in on September 7th. So if you're interested, you need to just go to golfshoreplayhouse.org and you can sign up and register for an audition. Well, I'll tell you what, seeing these kids uh, perform, I, I must say I was blown away <clears throat> when I saw how, what the kids could do. It's just amazing to see. And in the case, the, the, one of the performances that I saw, I'm thinking of, uh, you know, they had kids probably five years old up to 12, 13 years old. Now, you're talking about a teen performance right now, but uh, it's just extraordinary to see what these kids could do in terms of their preparation. And I must say, <clears throat> uh, this kind of activity just builds self-confidence, self-esteem. Uh, uh, it's just so good for the kids in so many ways. It is. I mean, there's so much auxiliary uh, benefit that it's not just about putting on a show. It's about learning who you are. It's about learning how to self-express comfortably. Later, when you need to speak on stage, uh, you'll have the confidence to do so. Teamwork and focus, you know, the things that really I feel, I feel are, are not as pre- present in our society anymore as they once were, like how to work hard and get to a product that is um, stellar. You know, that's a really important work ethic. Uh, lesson that kids can learn from being in, in theater camp, funny enough. No, no question about it, Kristen. And many of the kids that go to camp, by the way, are on scholarships uh, provided uh, by donations from people who support Golf Shore Playhouse. So it's nice to see kids that I think they call them Title I schools, if I'm not mistaken, showing up and uh, participating and uh, building those same skills. Yes, absolutely. We work hard to make sure that our uh, uh, the kids who they can be scholarshiped every year, so um, they can participate as well, and that's another wonderful way to make sure that um, we 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 give the gifts of theater to all the kids who need it and want it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, before I talk about the season coming up, you have a very work very hard in order to develop uh, this new uh, performing arts center in downtown Naples. It's going to be absolutely fabulous. Maybe you could tell us about it. 
Yes. Uh, it's funny. I was just telling somebody the other day how in back in 2005, we went to the, um, they, they just named Baron Collier Companies, the company that's going to develop the bamboo property, which is a four-acre parcel uh, up on Old 41. And I said to somebody, we were trying to get that property in 2005 so we could build a theater there. And then we were going to build a theater in Estero in 2006. And then, you know, we've just been... Um, for all these years looking for the perfect place to be able to build our home. And finally, we found it. In 2017, we bought three acres of land on the corner of First Avenue South and Goodlett Frank Road. Right away, we offered one of the acres to the city of Naples to a parking garage upon, a, a public parking garage. And it took Really, honestly, until now, so that's what four and a half year, uh, four and a half years to get to the point where they um, said yes, and uh, it's now official. Uh, we've actually swapped land with our neighbors to the west, uh, Wind Properties, so they'll actually get the frontage and we'll um, take the parcel that's behind. And this is with regard just to the parking parcel, so um, they'll 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 be able to build a beautiful mixed use building that's got a gorgeous terrace, outdoor restaurant on the street and right across the street from our lobby. And then the extra acre where the parking will be will be right behind that. And the city has agreed to, to allow us to convey that land to them uh, at the appropriate moment. And they will build um, a 350 space or just a little bit more uh, space parking garage on it. So this will be so helpful not only to, to Baker Park, but also to all of the businesses that will grow up around First Avenue South and 10th Street and Naples Square because we know it's proven around the country and around the world that theaters are catalysts to growth. So this will help um, bring, bring that area of what they've been calling blight in the design district to vibrant and beautiful life uh, as, we, as we continue to grow into the next decade. The building itself is very exciting. Uh, we had an event on 421 on April 21st, and um, Jay and Patty Baker, who were our very first transformational donors, giving us a matching gift of $10 million, which it took us four years to match the first time, um, announced that they would be doing another $10 million match, and this time they gave us a very short window. It was announced on the night of April 21st, and the deadline was uh, 4th of July. But I'm very, very pleased to say that we were able to match uh, another $10 million from them within six weeks' time. And so that was thrilling. And that's, I think, um, just pointing to the fact that this project has been in the works so long and people knew it was getting closer and closer to reality. And a lot of relationships have been cultivated. And when the bakers did what they did with their incredible, um, you know, sort of pressing the gun and saying, okay, we, we, the race has begun where we're, we are ready to put our money where our mouth is if you are too. People were at the ready and um, quickly filed in to make it happen. So now we're, we're $5 million away from the total capitalization of the $60 million project, but we're well, well, well uh, above where we need to be in order to break ground. So we'll be breaking ground on or about October 1st. And so it's really happening. It's just thrilling. It so, is so thrilling yeah. indeed. And it's uh, going to be such, it's going to bring uh, so much to the city. And uh, I, I, this is, again, we've been operating in what has been a community center here for the last 17 years. And we're so grateful for uh, the city of Naples making it available to us. And they did a lot to accom accommodate uh, uh, making it into a theater, a workable theater. But uh, now everything is going to be custom and beautiful, and it's just going to be so exciting, Kristen. It really is. Um, it'll have a 350-seat main stage theater that is the size that has a stage the size of a Broadway stage. So very often 
uh, you hear about plays you might not even realize came from other regional theaters like Jersey Boys came from La Jolla Playhouse or Hamilton came from the public theater and um, also the arena stage and um, Dear Evan Hansen, all Tony winners um, came from another regional theater as well so what we hope to do we've got two Broadway um, Tony award winning Broadway producers on our board we hope to and, and plenty of relationships with Broadway producers as well so we hope to be creating the next Jersey Boys whatever that might be and sending yeah. that off to New York to win a Tony and Naples will be able to participate in that but Besides that, we'll have a studio theater, we'll have rental spaces, um, beautiful uh, education wing in the back where we'll be giving classes and rehearsals and um, all kinds of wonderful things will be going on in this art building, uh, providing art morning, noon, and night. The lobby will be open all day so people can come in and grab a coffee or a drink and, um, of course, open during performances as well, but it will be open to the community throughout the day. Yeah. So um, we hope that this building will be another enhancement to downtown Naples and part of what makes um, Naples special and continue to help put us on the map uh, of great theaters around the country. Yeah, it's just so exciting. Again, I just encourage our listeners to go to gulfshoreplayhouse.org, gulfshoreplayhouse.org. Still uh, $5 million away from uh, the, the amount total amount needed to build the theater, so you can make a contribution there. And, of course, uh, ongoing operations require funding as well. And, again, uh, gulfshoreplayhouse.org. Check out the season coming up as well. We didn't have time to talk about it, Krista, but it's very exciting. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much, Bob. It was a pleasure. My pleasure indeed. Well, that's a wrap here in today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you'll tune in tomorrow. Uh, again, uh, we have great guests lined up as well. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. Thanks so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com.